Today I want to talk to you about the realized presence of God. The realized presence of God. Will you say that with me? The realized presence of God. You know, I remember well the first time I realized God's presence was upon me. You've heard, probably heard me tell the story how that I was just a small boy in our little Pentecostal church right here in the city of Nederland with my mother and father had raised us in and um, just maybe four or five years old, really young boy at that point. And the Spirit of the Lord came down upon me and spoke to my heart, called me into the ministry and gave me a vision of what I'm doing today as your pastor. I lived with that throughout my life knowing who I am, what I'm called to do, and it was all because in that moment I had a realization of the presence of God. Throughout my life I've had those kind of moments. I think about some of the, the really high points in life. It was about age 11 that mom and dad sent us to a youth camp. and. Uh, at the climax of that service, I felt the tug of God on my heart. I never thought of myself as being anything but a Christian, living for Christ, but I had never really made that public statement about my salvation and publicly given my heart to the Lord. It was in that moment that the realized presence of God came upon me, and I walked down the aisle at that camp meeting, camp, youth camp, and gave my heart to the Lord and officially became a Christian. It was a highlight of my, of my life. A few weeks later, we'd return home to our local church, and on a Wednesday night, I was sitting by my Aunt Elbert. She's with the Lord now. But I was standing beside Aunt Elbert, and the saints of God were worshiping and praising God, and God was in the house. And it seems like God came down as if he funneled himself right over my head, and the Spirit of God came upon me stronger than maybe I'd ever felt it. I was just a young boy of 11 years old. But for the first time, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, began to speak in a language that I've never known. And one of the great highlights of my life was the moment I received the baptism of the Spirit. It was a realization of God upon me and in me like I'd never had before. As I continue to live for God and, and work for the Lord, I remember great moments when I had an exaggerated realization of God's presence in my life. And it was those moments that guided my life, established the direction I would go and the life that I would live. I cherish every single moment that I have had that sudden, awesome realization that God was upon me at that moment, at that very time. I know all of you have had those kind of moments when suddenly you realize God's presence was upon you in a wonderful and a powerful way. I want us to celebrate those moments together for the next few minutes. We'll look at the book of Luke chapter 24. In this chapter we hear the story of how that Jesus came back alive. The apostles went to the tomb to see where he was buried, found it empty, and then began to tell everybody that Jesus was alive and that he was no longer in the tomb. Two followers of Jesus, whose names we do not know, 
left Jerusalem on that very resurrection morning and started walking toward a small village called Emmaus. Emmaus was about seven miles down the road, and these two followers of Jesus walked together excitedly talking about what had just happened. Jesus had been uh, arrested. Jesus had been falsely accused, falsely convicted. He had been beaten. He had been crucified. He virtually died. He was buried in a tomb. And then this morning... He's gone, and the angel said he was alive. And so you can imagine the kind of conversation they were having. And in that moment, Jesus kind of moves up and begins to walk with them and injects himself in the conversation with a question. What is all this you're talking about? Why are you so excited? What's been going on? Now, the Bible says God had hidden his identity from them. Although they knew him well and had followed him and would recognize him any time or place, God covered him so they did not know who he was. And so for the rest of that seven-mile walk, they talked to the Lord, and Jesus began to explain to them the Old Testament prophecies and show them how that what had just happened in Jerusalem was a fulfillment of the prophets had said many hundreds of years before. So they finally arrive on their little walk to Emmaus, and they begin to turn off, and Jesus, the Bible said, would have just kept on walking. But they said, why don't you go in and have some bread with us, and let's eat together? And Jesus agreed. So they go in, and the Bible said, there they ate together. I'll pick up the narrative here in verse 30. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, suddenly, their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. So there was a period of time where they were walking with him, but they didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize he was in their presence. And then suddenly God opened their eyes, and suddenly they realized, this is Jesus. This is the resurrected Savior. This is the one that we're talking about. It was him all the time. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us? I mean, even as they're talking, they didn't know who they were talking to, but they could tell there was something wonderful and special about it until God opened their eyes and allowed them to realize that it was Jesus that was with them all of the time. Now, immediately after this, they would go right back to Jerusalem, and they'd begin to tell everybody about how they, too, had seen the, resurrection, the resurrected Savior. You know, when you have these kind of a moments in God, it galvanizes your faith. It gives you a boldness and makes you a witness like you would never be. You see, it takes the, the, the idea of Christianity, the philosophy of Christianity, the belief system of Christianity, the religion of Christianity, and makes it tangible and real. Sometimes people, I hear people say things like, well, I don't believe God speaks to people today. Well, I, the truth is God's probably never spoken to them. Because if he had spoken to them, they wouldn't be saying that kind of stuff. And there's a whole lot of people that deny experiences that maybe I've had and maybe you've had, and they deny those experiences because they've never had them. But if they ever had them, they wouldn't be talking about us. They'd be trying to get some more of it. See, when you have these moments of realization in God, when you know without question that it was God at work, God in your midst, and God with you, then it galvanizes your faith and it sends you out with a boldness and you don't care what other people think because you know that you know that you had an encounter with God that was entirely real. I believe the strength of our faith can be directly tied to how much of the realized presence of God we experience from day to day 
today. But you know, God is with us all the time. We refer to him as being omnipresent, meaning that God is everywhere all of the time. In reality, you cannot enter his presence or leave his presence because everywhere you go, he's already there. So there's no way you and I can say, okay, I'm going to leave his presence or I'm going to enter his presence because you can't go anywhere he isn't already there. As vast and infinite as space is, we still are looking into the infinity of, of the universe and can't find an end to it. Wherever that end is, if there is an end, God is already there. He's everywhere all of the time. But there are moments when God has to be taken from the infinite, the omnipresent, everywhere all the time, and come into your space of reality and into your moment in time. And no longer is he a God far off somewhere, but he's God very close and very near. It's at that moment that the reality of God becomes very, very strong. 4,000 years ago, David understood this. He had the same kind of encounter I'm going to read you an excerpt from Psalm 139. You might make a note of that. This would be a good verse for you to go back in your devotion this week and study that entire chapter because it's talking very much about what we're saying here this morning. Let me just give you an excerpt. David said, I can never escape from your presence, your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as the bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. So even David said, I can't escape him. I can't go somewhere he isn't already. I can't leave him or find him because he's everywhere. And wherever I am in the light or day, it doesn't matter. He is already there. But as I said, there has to be that time when the omnipresence of God, the God that is everywhere all the time, is close. He's with you. He's in your moment. He's living in your space. God becomes very, very near. The apostle said in the book of Acts chapter 17, another great portion that you can read beginning in around 26 and going through uh, chapter 28, he talks about this omnipresent God. He said in verse 28, for in him we live and move and exist. And some of your poets have said we are his offspring. So the apostle said in him we live and move and have our being. It's like a fish in the ocean. The water is the spirit of God, and we're just a fish, and we're just swimming around in God's ocean. It's his presence. You and I enjoy life because of God. He is life. And if suddenly the life of God was extinguished, you and I would be extinguished with it because the touch of life in each one of us that we enjoy comes directly from God. So in him we live and move and have our being. It's like the air around us. You know, right now, uh, I know I'm living in an atmosphere of air, oxygen. And unconsciously, while I'm sharing with you, I know that my body's breathing and that, that air that's coming into my lungs is vital to my, my very life. If suddenly I couldn't breathe air, I would die quickly because it's vital. That's the spirit of God for all of you. 
Every moment we're breathing the life of God, the energy of God, the existence of God. And if it were not for that air of God's life, we would all die instantly. So there is air still. Like right now, I don't know where you're sitting, but I don't feel any air moving. I'm not hot. I'm not cold. But I don't feel any air. I can't see it. I can't feel it. I'm comfortable, but I mean, it's like air? Where? But when air moves, it becomes wind. It's the same air. It just moves. It, it's the same thing. It's just one is still and one is moving. And that's the way God's Spirit is. He's everywhere all the time. Then He moves. And it's that movement of God's Spirit that causes us to have that realization. In the same way that I'm breathing unconsciously and there's air all around me and it's allowing me to be alive, that's wonderful. But as soon as the air moves, then I realize the air condition came on because the air moved. So these moments of realization when we realize the presence of God is when the air that is all around us all the time is still becomes suddenly air moving. Then something is up. Something is changing. Something is in the atmosphere. God's doing something. It's a precious moment. And these are moments when we realize the presence of God. Can you say amen? amen. And so, uh, you know, it's a wonderful thing when people know God, believers, giving their heart to the Lord, and then suddenly they come into an atmosphere where the wind, the air has become wind, and the omnipresence of God becomes the moving of God's presence. And they realize His presence in their lives. I look around this building. I've known a, a lot of you for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking to David Godier standing back there. He's one of our elders. Now, David had great parents. They dragged him to church and taught him what was right. He was a good man or Terry wouldn't have married him. <laughs> but when I first met David... David had never experienced the realized presence of God at the level he does now. It wasn't that he hadn't heard about Jesus, wasn't that he didn't know the Bible, wasn't that he didn't understand Christianity. The realized presence of God is what put that man back there on that door. It was coming into an atmosphere where it was not theory or religious ideas and belief systems, but it was an encounter with God when you suddenly realize this God I've been hearing about all my life is not some idea or somebody else's thoughts, but He is reality and He is right here on me right now. The air becomes wind. And an idea of God becomes a reality of God. And that everything changes. Everything changes. How many of you remember the first time you had that encounter when suddenly God became far more real than ever before? It changes everything. People's lives are changed when they have a moment when they realize God's presence. Now, you know, God's presence, the moving of God's Spirit, we measure wind in terms of velocity. In other words, there is still air, and then there's moving air, and how many miles per hour the air is moving is referred to as the velocity. And so when God moves, it's at different velocities, or you could say different intensities. Um, you and I, right here on this piece of property, we've experienced hurricane force wind of 100 to 125 miles an hour standing right on this property. 
And it, it's, it's a frightening thing to be in winds of that velocity and that, that, that speed. It's scary. Tears up a lot of stuff. And so when you're walking with God, when His Spirit moves, it's by degree. It's according to velocity. There are times when it's a, a gentle breeze. There are moments in my life that, man, a gentle breeze is so refreshing and so wonderful. There's other times that, that it's a gale force wind. And different times and different situations determine the strength and the velocity of God's Spirit. But we need the moving of the wind, the moving of God's Spirit. You know, I think about great moments I've had standing right here with you in this place. January 2011 comes to my mind. We had purpose to have weekend meetings at each campus throughout the month. We started in Beaumont. The next week was in Sugarland, and then the final week of January was right here. We had a Saturday night and a Sunday morning and a Sunday night service, and Renee and I was standing about right here. Bishop Garlington and Pastor Barbara Garlington was standing right there. And um, uh, Bishop Garlington had all of the pastors and elders kind of gather around us. I'm seeing it in my mind's eye. And everybody was gathered around. And we began to sing a certain song. I, I've forgotten the song. I remember a line or two, but I've forgotten the song. But when we begin to sing that song, standing here in the presence of God with you, the winds of God begin to blow at a very, very high speed. It was in that moment that I had a real realization of God's presence, one of the strongest I've ever experienced in my whole life. It felt like God was right here, like He was right here. I don't know if I was sitting in His lap or He was sitting in my lap. I don't know if we were sharing the throne together, but I'm telling you, you couldn't put a piece of paper between me and God at that moment. Now, other people had the exact same experience I had, but I'm just telling you how I felt. I felt like you couldn't slide a piece of paper between me and God. That's how close He was to me at that moment. One of the great moments of my life was standing right here as the realized God is in the house. He is here. He's not afar. He's near. He's not sitting on a throne somewhere else. We are at His throne. This is it. It's, it's those moments that change your life. Now, you can't live at that place your whole life. That's not every day. That's not every Sunday. That's not every January. You can't manufacture those things. You can't, like, create an environment and, and God just does it because He knows His cue. When you do this, He does that. It doesn't work that way. That stuff is so sovereign. It's so God that no man can tinker with it and no man can replicate it. But, you know... I don't want to live my life where that I have these big moments, these big high mountaintop experiences, and everything in between is like this deep, dark, long, dry valley. I mean, can I live with a realized presence of God week to week and day to day? The answer to that question is unquestionably yes. There'll always be those mountaintop experiences that you and I will talk about for a lifetime. But God doesn't just want to visit us on those occasional mountain peaks, but God wants to walk with us and live with us every day of our lives. Amen. And let me talk to you about that here for just a few moments. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 12 through 14, I want to show you something about 
the realized presence of God on a day-to-day basis. Let's start to read. The night is almost gone, Paul said. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Dark deeds, habits, lifestyles, things that are not pleasing to God, things that make us ashamed and guilty things that we're continually justifying in our mind and and creating a, a mental defense at all times. They're dark deeds. Then he goes on to say, put on the shining armor of right living, just living right. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives. Everybody say decent lives for all to see. Then he said, don't participate in the darkness of wild parties of drunkenness or sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. So don't participate. Sometimes Christians go places and they're involved with other people doing things. They say, well, that wasn't me. I was just with them. That was them. He said, don't participate. There needs to be a clear line between a saint of God and someone that isn't a saint of God. And the line is getting muddier and murkier and more thin all the time. There has to be some lines that you set on yourself, not that pastor enforces on you, not that pastor comes and draws in your life, but you have to have some lines that you have drawn in your own life that you say, I won't cross this line because I prayed about it and I feel like God has that line in my life. I'm not crossing. Don't participate. Listen to what else he said. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus. So in between these big mountaintop experiences, I want to clothe myself with the presence of Jesus. Take off dirty garments and and deeds of darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that it's not like when I go to church, I really feel him, but in between, I'm just doing the best I can. But every day, wherever I am and whatever I'm doing, I'm clothed with the Lord Jesus and His presence is with me and I realize He's with me. You don't go see Him at church. You don't leave Him at home, but you take Him with you. And everywhere you go, you're wearing the clothing of His presence. Now, one of the keys to being clothed in the presence of God is given to us at the end of verse 14. Look at it with me. He finishes by saying, And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. You see, the mind is the key. And if we can control our thought lives and the tone and temperament and texture of our thoughts, then we can be clothed with the presence of Jesus. But when our minds wander off, and we're thinking thoughts of fear, doubt, unbelief, jealousy, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, anything sexual that's not of God, when these things happen on the screens of our mind, it pulls us away from God and separates us from the presence of Jesus. Maybe the great key of being clothed in His presence is learning how to stay on the right mental page and think the right thoughts and make sure the screen of your mind is, in, is of such a nature and character that if suddenly if it was broadcast to the world, you wouldn't be embarrassed. And I guess that's really the the test. If what I'm thinking right now was broadcast to the world, would I be embarrassed and humiliated and would suddenly people see me differently than they do? It's a standard you can only hold yourself to. 
Paul went further to talk about this in the chapter 8 of the book of Romans. These are clear, profound truths that we all must live by. Listen carefully. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature by sinful nature think about sinful things. So the difference in a, a spiritual person and a carnal person is what they're thinking about. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. I really believe the real key to walking with God and being clothed in His presence is making sure that I don't let my mind drift. Let my mind go uncontrolled, get out of line, thinking things I have no business even thinking about. If we can keep our mind in line, we can walk in the Spirit and be pleasing to God. But when we let our mind grow, inevitably it's displeasing to God and there comes a relational separation. I can't walk in the realized presence of God, be clothed with the presence of Jesus Christ when I allow my mind to drift off. God help us to take control of our mind. The Bible says bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And that's our challenge. That's what Romans teaches. Well, you know, um, you go back to the book of Genesis and you read about Adam and Eve, our father and mother, all of us. And they had beautiful, unbroken, unhindered fellowship with God. And God would come into the garden that he'd created them and they would interact with God and have sweet and wonderful fellowship. Until one day, they violated God's law and they sinned against God. And so the Spirit of the Lord comes in in the cool of the day to commune with Adam and Eve like he had been doing. Adam and Eve are hiding. Why are they hiding? Because they're ashamed. They're embarrassed. And suddenly the God that they had openly and freely interacted with and shared time in the garden with, now they're hiding from him and he's calling for them, Adam, where are you? Come on out, Adam. So Adam kind of peeks around the tree, I guess, and suddenly has to come out and face God's presence. Guilt and shame causes us to withdraw from the presence of God. Things that we know in our heart are beneath the standard we've chosen to live by and God wants from us causes us to resent and resist and avoid environments of His presence. Thank you for fighting, beating the devil and being in the house of God this morning. God bless all of you. A million reasons why you, you couldn't be here today. Let me tell you something, there's teeming thousands of Americans that aren't in the house of God of worship today because they have guilt and they have things going on in their minds and their hearts that's causing them to be like Adam and Eve and they're hiding in from the presence of God. Because when you come in the presence of God, He is light. He is truth, all light and all truth. And man, it's amazing how strong my conscience gets in the house of God. It's amazing the things I can remember that I did or didn't do when I get in the house of God because His presence is there. It's all truth, it's all life, it's all righteousness, and man, there I am like, oh my God. And people don't go to church for many reasons. Some of it is because things they got going on, things they're ashamed of, and the presence of God brings a realization of that. So God help us to live lives um, that we're not ashamed to be in God's presence, afraid to be close to Him. <coughs> Three hundred and fifty years ago, there was a man called Brother Lawrence in France. He was a dishwasher. 
And he was not a man of education, not a man of leadership and power and influence, but he walked with God and he left letters that for 350 years, people like you and I have tried to read and grasp the keys and the principle he learned about practicing the presence of God. Sometimes if you want to read a book, it's a, it, it's a little difficult to read because it was written in French and, and then it was translated to 16th, 17th century English, so you gotta, you gotta dig a little bit. It's not, it's not a nursery rhyme. But when you read it, there are some tremendous truths there about how to practice the presence of God. His whole life was learning how to practice the presence of God, be clothed in the presence of Jesus, and live a normal life, but still walk with God and have a realization of His presence with you at all times. Here's some of the things that Brother Lawrence taught us. First of all, he said, talk to him every day, all day long. Converse with him openly. Converse with him openly. Make him a part of the conversation. You see, anytime you're standing in a small group of people and you include every person in the conversation, they're comfortable and they will stay with you. But if there's one person that you exclude from the conversation, that person starts looking for some place to go because it's like, well, I'm not in this conversation. They don't want me here. And you just start easing away and you've got something else you've got to do. But if you're in the conversation, you're included with the conversation, you're like right there, a part of it. That's a relational dynamic. And so if I can live every day and make God a part of my conversation and keep Him in the loop and always have references Him throughout the day, automatically it keeps His presence with me as opposed to waiting for Sunday morning to happen again. Keep Him in the conversation. Now, like you, you know, I have church environments, Christian environments, people that see me as a pastor. And then I have other environments that, that uh, I'm just one of the guys. I'm not a pastor, not necessarily a Christian. I'm just a guy. I make it my business to not change my conversation regardless of where I am or whom I'm with. I want to speak to you men especially. I know you work in sometimes in evil environments where there's a lot of wicked conversations and a lot of, a, lot of, a lot of nasty things going on. It's not a godly environment. And you work there every day, sometimes 8, 12 hours a day. I want to encourage you as your pastor, don't change your conversation because you're not in church and not with Christians. Don't talk like them. Talk in that environment just like you would in the house of God. You know, um, I speak in tongues every day of my life. I talk about the Lord everywhere, anytime I want. I'm just me wherever I am. I'm the same me, and I talk the same and act the same. And he's always in my conversation. And when I'm with unbelievers that don't understand God, I don't take him out of my conversation. I want to have the same conversation wherever I am and whomever I'm with. Because they may be uncomfortable, that's okay. But I want to make sure Christ is never uncomfortable with my conversation. If anybody's going to leave the conversation, let it be the unbeliever that uses all kind of filthy language and talks about all kind of things and let my Savior stay close. I want a conversation that makes my Savior very comfortable with me. And I don't want him to feel like Randy's one guy here and another guy there. He likes me in that environment, but he doesn't like me too much there. He's kind of ashamed of me, you know, and he kind of puts me on a shelf. That's not the God that we serve. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. I encourage you to be the same person, whoever you're with, whatever you are, just be the same person all the time. I don't like obnoxious Christianity. I don't like obnoxious Christianity. There's no sense in being obnoxious. 
but don't be a different person either. Don't be offensive with your Christianity, but don't hide your Christianity. Just establish your identity, establish the person you are, and be that wherever you are, whomever you're with, be that person all the time. Thank you for that very weak hand clap from this section over here. God bless you. I love you. I'm just going to preach to you the rest of the day. So, Brother Lawrence said, talk to God, converse with Him all day wherever you are. Now, he was a dishwasher. He washed the same pots and pans every day. He washed the same knives and forks every day. The same glasses and cups every day. They'd get dirty and he'd wash them again the next day. Not an exciting job, not an important job, not an influential position. But he said, whatever you do, do it for the love of God. Do it as unto the Lord. Do it as this. This is your service to God. And it may be somewhat of a menial task, but if it's the task God has given you, do it with all of your heart. Do it to His glory and do it with joy. Some jobs are more exciting than others. Some jobs are more pleasurable than others. But whatever you do, the Bible says, do all things as if you were doing it unto the Lord. Don't be angry at men. But thank God that He's given you life and health and He is in charge of your life. And whatever He gives you to do, do it with all of your heart and do it as unto the Lord. So whatever you get up on Monday mornings and however you go to make your living, whatever you do in the course of the day, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord and make God a part of it. But if you get up every day and you resent your life and resent your job and resent the people around you, it's that atmosphere that, that makes God back up. You can't be clothed in His presence if you're angry and bitter and, and discomfortable and blame everybody you just can't be you just can't be clothed in his presence and that attitude so whatever you get to do do it as unto the Lord the third thing that brother Lawrence taught was give thanks continually give thanks continually when th things go good say thank you Jesus praise God man that's that, that's that's some that's some stuff that every child of God needs to needs to just totally um, bathe their whole conversation in. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And, and it doesn't have to be for big things, just little things. When something goes right, give Him thanks. When something goes almost right, give Him thanks. When something goes really wrong, give Him thanks. It didn't go a whole lot worse than it did. You know, just give Him thanks. There's something about the atmosphere of gratitude and the atmosphere of thanksgiving that the presence of the Lord is comfortable in. He comes near to. You see, God doesn't go any place, and he doesn't, He's not comfortable in any environment. We're trying to create an environment where God is comfortable and God can work and move in. And so if I'm going to practice His presence... These are some of the things I need to do. Talk to him all the time. Include him in all your conversation. Do everything you do, whether you enjoy it or not, do it out of love for God. And give thanks continually throughout the day for the good things he does in your life. Can I hear a great big amen? amen. Now, <clears throat> there is a, a thin veil between the natural world and the spiritual world. And uh, when you study the life of Christ, he could move from one dimension to the other easily. Um, on one occasion, he was on a mountaintop, and the Bible said he ascended up off the earth and appeared with Moses and Elijah, and the heaven, uh, a voice came from heaven, and, 
And then he came back down and they said, man, we're going to build three tabernacles right now. He said, no, don't do that. Let's go back down the mountain and keep doing what we're doing. But the veil between the natural and the spirit world for Jesus was very thin. And then after he um, rose from the grave, he, they'd be in a closed room for fear of the Jews. They'd be locked in there hiding, not making much noise so they wouldn't get arrested. And he would just suddenly appear in the room. And when he was done, he'd just leave because the veil between the natural and the spirit was so thin with Jesus. In my lifetime, I've known people that had a very thin veil between the natural and the spiritual. Now, I've never known them to appear and disappear. <laughs> but I have seen how quickly they can move from a very natural frame of mind into a spiritual frame of mind very quickly. Some people have a very thick veil. They need 21 days of fasting of prayer to get through the veil. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, they got to really get intense. They, they got to go to church. Man, they got to get in the altar because the veil between the natural and the spirit is so thick that it takes a lot of time and effort to get through. But I know people that the veil is very thin. They can be laughing and talking or doing a job they like or don't like, and the next minute they can be in the spirit realm and be manifesting the spirit of God just like that from one to the other because the veil is very thin. So I spent a lifetime trying to keep the veil thin so that I can live a natural life, whatever it, it's like, but then at any given moment, any time or place, I can just step over and be operating in the spirit realm and God's presence can enclose me and he can use me in some small or great way. I want a thin veil. And the way we live determines the thickness of the veil. And how quick and easy we can get from one realm to the next realm is determined by the life we live. God help us to live a life where the veil is thin and we can move from the spirit to the natural and the natural to the spirit quickly and easily. Some people can only get in the spirit if they're in church. Some people can only get in the spirit if they're by themselves. Some people can get in the spirit wherever they are, whomever they're with. It doesn't take any time at all. I want to be that kind of person. How many of you want to be that kind of person? I know you do. <clears throat> to keep the veil thin, I have to have a, a spiritual mind, not a carnal mind. To keep the veil thin, I have to have constant interaction and conversation with God. Can't put him on the shelf. Make him wait till Sunday or when I get home at night where I can pray alone. But I got to make him a part of my life and keep the veil thin. And I also pray in the spirit a lot. I pray in the Spirit every day. I pray in my heavenly language because I think that's one of the things that keeps the veil thin. I'm praying in my natural language of English, and then I step over and I'm praying in my heavenly language. And when I'm praying in my natural language, I'm praying prayers as best I know and as best I understand. But when I step over and I begin to pray in tongues, the Bible says the Spirit is praying through me according to the will of God. I don't know what I'm praying, but God knows and it's the right thing. And when I'm praying in my natural language, I'm in my natural sense. But when I step into my spiritual language, then all of a sudden it's another gear, it's another dimension, and I begin to pray in the Spirit. I encourage you to pray in the Spirit every day, every day. Don't be obnoxious. Don't pray in the Spirit in front of unbelievers. Don't pray in the Spirit in front of other believers that think everybody speaks in tongues as devils. Don't do that. It ain't necessary. It won't help anybody. Don't be obnoxious. But pray in the Spirit every day, every day. 
because it helps you keep the veil thin. It helps you be able to step into that at any moment. You see, I want the realized presence of God in my private devotion. I'm coming to a close. Listen carefully. I want the pre realized presence of God in my private devotion. I don't want to have to have a, a, a big church service with lots of people helping me. I just want to be able to go in my own prayer closet and talk to God by myself and have that realization of God's presence. I don't want to have to ride anyone else's back or anybody else's prayer, anybody else's worship. I want to be able to touch God alone, just me and Him. I want the realized presence of God in my private devotion. I don't want to fall below that standard. Secondly, I want the realized presence of God when I come to church or my small group and when I'm with the people of God. One of the distinctives of a spirit-filled church is there is an increased measure of the realized presence of God. It's not an increased measure of salvation, not an increased measure of righteousness and goodness and who's right and who's better and who's not. It's just that in a spirit-filled church, we emphasize the realized presence of God and we create an atmosphere where you can actually experience it. And many people would go a lifetime saved as saved can be, but never experience the realized presence until they walked into a spirit-filled church and like, wow, what is this? So I want a church that when we worship, we realize His presence. When we pray, we realize His presence. When someone's teaching or preaching, I want to realize that God is speaking and the, the Word is going forth and it's penetrating my heart and it's right on time and right in place. That's what a Spirit-filled church is. It's the realized presence of God. I want the realized presence of God uh, in my daily life. I don't want it to be just at private moments or public gatherings of worship, but in my daily life, I want to think I can have the realized presence of God while I'm driving my automobile, while I'm doing menial tasks. I, I, want, to, I want to feel God with me. I want to know He's there. I want, I want to be clothed in His presence. And when I have the opportunity to minister for Christ, share an encouraging word, pray with someone, whatever I get the opportunity to do, wherever I am, not just when I'm here in this pulpit, but wherever I am, I want the realized presence of God. I, I don't want to pray for people and not feel God on me when I'm praying for them. I, I don't want to share encouraging words unless I feel like they're words that are coming from the presence of Jesus that I'm clothed in. If not, it's empty hands on empty heads. And it's empty words falling on empty hearts. But you mix it with the Spirit of God and our feeble efforts to be a blessing to someone is greatly exaggerated and magnified and is a blessing to all. I want the realized presence of God when I'm sharing and ministering to others. There's a lot of intelligent people, well-learned and knowledgeable about all things, that make great presentation and impactful speeches. But ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing like the presence and anointing of God in our lives. Nothing can compare with that, and that's what I desire. Now, I'm coming to a close this morning, and I want to thank each of you for giving me this opportunity to share with you, and those of you that are watching somehow by video, either live right now or delayed, thank you for giving me this moment in time. Today, I've hoped to share a, a seed of truth with you that would inspire you to desire the realized presence of God and to be clothed with the presence of Jesus every day, all day long, 
throughout your life. It's a privilege and it's an invitation that God has given to all of his followers. Thank you so much. God bless you for giving me this time. You can close your Bibles now.